You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a Midwest girl, so I had to, you know, have to go to the Midwest <laughs> as I could. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was amazing being the, the top-ranked American, especially, you know, I kind of touched on the subject before, just being at a venue and being able to compete against that caliber of, of riders and then to be able to hang with them every step of the way. And you're like, okay, yeah, I am, I am sort of making it. I'm getting there. Like some things are falling together and it's like all that hard work you put in over time. So it's starting to pay off in those moments and you just really get a, a chance to appreciate it in little moments like that and big moments. But it, the most special thing to me about the, throughout the weekend were honestly like the morning flats and just looking around all the r- different riders at that venue and being like, wow, like this is, this is awesome. Not only to have these riders in the Midwest, in the United States, but to be on home turf and competing against them and then to add like the little bit you can say pressure, but it really was more of an excitement feeling for me mm-hmm. um, as an American trying to <laughs> hold our own and, and uh, get, aim for a podium finish. Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Julia Boutenhouse, and this week's episode is with leading international show jumper, Hunter Holloway. Hailing from a family of equestrians, Hunter has been around horses her whole life, and she's been competing at the top of the sport since a young age. At just 12 years old, Hunter became the youngest ever to win a national Grand Prix. In 2016, she won the ASPCA McClay Finals, the Washington International Equitation Championships, and the U25 Jumper Championship at the Pennsylvania National Horse Show. Hunter's success has continued into her professional career, with highlights including the CSI 5-star AON Cup at Spruce Meadows, the CSI 5-star $405,300 Hits Grand Prix at Hits Socrates, and numerous national and international Grand Prix wins. She has also represented the United States on Nations Cup teams in Canada and Germany. One of her most recent and profound accomplishments, though, was her third-place finish aboard Pepita Conspita at the 2023 World Cup Finals in Omaha, Nebraska. This podium finish was especially meaningful to Hunter because of her Midwest roots. Born and raised in Topeka, Kansas, the CHI Health Center Omaha where the finals were held, was considered a hometown venue for Hunter. During our conversation, Hunter shared just how special the 2023 finals were to her. She also speaks about her history and rise in the sport, her training philosophy, and how she believes her love of the horse has helped her to be so successful. Before we dive into the podcast with Hunter, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, Bowringer Angelheim, and share their message. Veterinarians, farriers, trainers, riders, grooms. Everyone plays a role keeping horses at peak performance. Bowringer Angelheim is proud to provide the tools to help your team keep them healthy. Learn more at bowringer-angelheim.com. Now, enjoy the episode with Hunter. Thank you so much, Hunter, for being with me today. I really appreciate you taking your time to talk to me. 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get going. So I want to start right off the bat talking about the World Cup Finals, which was a crazy, amazing achievement for you. And not only that, it was also a hometown um, venue for you, which was, must have been just incredible. So can you go and tell us a little bit about what it was like to compete at World Cup Finals and at a pretty much a home venue for you and what it felt like to do so incredibly there? I mean, finishing in a podium position. Yeah, you know, it was a such a surreal weekend, I'd say, as a whole. Um, that was my second World Cup final, and I was super excited to get back to another final, mainly because it was a final event, but also because it was so close to home. You know, that that was really exciting to get to have um, so many friends, family, and just people I've grown up around and, and know so well all there to support me and cheer me on. It was just such an exciting feeling. Um, yeah, it just was amazing. <laughs> it was not enough good things to say about the weekend. And so your horse, Pepita Conspita, I mean, I had seen her quite a few times. You know, I've watched you guys show and stuff. You are an incredible pair. So can you tell us a little bit about her and what her performance felt like at World Cup Finals? Yeah, you know, we always go in with the goal of, of winning. Um, so as much as we wanted to win at World Cup Finals, that's the dream, right? Um, to be able to come away with a podium finish is just equally amazing at that, you know, to be amongst riders of that caliber. That's that's the goal and where we want to stay competing at and to have a horse that allows me to compete at that level and do so, so well, too. Um, I just have so much love for that horse. Uh, we purchased her as a eight year old and she's now 12 and uh, just being able to do so many big things with her and it being her first big thing and and getting to do it with her and grow together as a pair over the years has been truly uh, amazing and something I've really enjoyed along the way with her. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And so you said that, so that was your second World Cup finals, of course. Had you shown in that venue before having been pretty local to it? Yes. Um, as you said, it's kind of a hometown venue for us. And uh, Lisa Roskin, the whole group that puts on that show, does just an amazing job. And I think it's been on my schedule almost every year. They've had a show there. Um, one's so close to home, and I love supporting supporting them, but also just the way they run the show and the whole organizing committee. They're just amazing people. I don't have enough good things to say about them. Um, and to be able to do so well at an event they put on, too, was truly special. And you were the highest placed American and just watching you compete there, honestly, it was really emotional, like, like really goosebumps. Um, and just like this feeling of pride, like you being up there in a podium position and representing America. So how did it feel to be able to accomplish that on not only, you know, your home turf, but for the United States in the United States at a World Cup final? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a Midwest girl, so I had a, you know, Midwest <laughs> Good. <laughs> but um you know it was amazing being the the top ranked american especially you know i kind of touched on the subject before just being at a venue and being able to compete against that caliber of, of riders and then to be able to hang with them every step of the way and you're like okay yeah i am i am sort of making it i'm getting there like some things are falling together and it's like all that hard work you put in over time so it's starting to pay off in those moments and you just really get a, a chance to appreciate it in little moments like that and big moments. 
but it, the most special thing to me about the, throughout the weekend were honestly like the morning flats and just looking around all the r- different riders at that venue and being like, wow, like this is, this is awesome. Not only to have these riders in the Midwest, in the United States, but to be on home turf and competing against them. And then to add like the little bit, you can say pressure, but it really was more of an excitement feeling for me mm-hmm. um, as a, an American trying to <laughs> hold our own and, and uh, get, aim for a podium finish. You said you're familiar with that venue, but it's always difficult competing in an indoor arena. When you're preparing for an indoor, especially a final like that, how do you get ready to compete and jump a course that big and that demanding in such tight quarters? Yeah, luckily, Pepita is amazing inside. Um, yeah. She's amazing outside, too, but she's such a light and agile horse. She really handles well at venues like that, and that is an exceptionally narrow ring. I don't think you realize how narrow that ring is. <laughs> I get there every year, and I'm just reminded, like, oh, God, it's really small. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't think I'd say I do anything specific to, to prep for an event, like an indoor event. I know that I know mainly because I know that horse well. It's not like she's a young, young horse. She's seasoned mm-hmm. at this point all the things and she kind of has her own system and we just keep it that way for her but if I was getting a a young horse ready for an indoor I definitely try and just school them in smaller quarters where they know they're going to be kind of always jumping into a wall and I wouldn't make it hard for them but I would just get them used to that feeling where you're pretty much always going into a wall and the next thing's coming up really quick and when you're walking your course in an arena like that and you're measuring out your strides, counting your strides, what is your method with that? Like, do you just, you know, count the strides between the lines or do you really measure like even around the corners and stuff to make sure that you're hitting your mark where you need to be in the arena? I wouldn't say I walk around corners unless it's like a jump off turn, then I will. Right. Um, but in an arena like that, yeah, everything does end up being related even around the turn. I'm not really a rider that likes to be so um committed through a turn like that it's at least in the first round and jump off i'd walk an inside track and find the most direct or least amount of uh, strides i can do but um i'd say i walk my turns of every little inch of those courses and i definitely walk the lines and have a good idea of a plan there but i more think in terms of turns turns i'm gonna land rebalance or go forward whatever i think i need for that turn in the next jump I'm more land and have that in my head versus a number on a turn. Um, I do have to say I'm not a rider that is so committed to numbers, at least on, on that horse. Cause she can vary a little bit in terms of if I'm going to add or leave out or add or do the stride, I apologize, um, add or do the stride. So it, it can vary. And I have like to have an idea in my head, but I don't get super committed to a number that I have to do. Right. Okay. And so you said you got her when she was eight. She's 12 years old now. And like you mentioned, she's a, an adjustable horse. Like, you know, you can open up her stride. You can shorten her to add if you need to. So what do you work on in her training that helps with that adjustability? At this point, we keep it simple, very simple mm-hmm. for her. Family and her flat work, I think that horse hardly ever jumps. Um, mm-hmm. But early on, uh, it was just a lot of lengthening and shortening and really, really basic flat work uh you know she has got a bit of a sensitive mouth I'd say she's always been a rather adjustable horse she's always been a little finicky in the mouth and over time we've just found that it's easier to keep it simple for her so rather than make anything complicated we just keep her in a snaffle and keep her happy and I learned to deal with a little bit of the 
brattiness in the bridle because that just seems to be how she jumps best. And the goal for me and my team is whenever bringing a horse along is I like to try and have them as simple as tack as possible. So uh, that's kind of always in the back of my mind when I'm bringing along the horses. I do like to keep it simple. I like to try and get them broken riding well enough on the flat that then they can eventually jump in a snaffle or at least a less complicated bit. Right. Would you consider her a spicy mare? Because she can she can look like it a little bit when you're jumping around. I mean, she's so she looks so fiery. Like she's just you know she gets her sights on a jump and she goes for it. She is the queen and she knows it. Uh, Even <laughs> walking around the barn, she's just like, "Yep, this is my barn." <laughs> but definitely spicy. Definitely knows her job and definitely wants to win. I mean, I don't think I've met or been on a horse that's as sensitive to environment energy is that horse is and she definitely knows mm-hmm. when it's a big moment and when it matters um and i'd say like just see in terms of a first round versus a jump off i mean she just grows off that environment in the crowd and she feels energy and you just know you're like oh wow this horse knows she knows these moments and she wants to win just as bad as i do so i'd say she's ultra competitive in that aspect well you guys are an amazing team and you're so fun to watch and um, I now I want to get into you a little bit just so I can get to know your background some more. So going all the way back, how did you get interested in horses and riding when you were younger? I was lucky enough to be born in one of those horse crazy families. Yeah. Uh, my mom was a trainer training out of Kansas. And before my mom, my mom's mom, my grandmother, she also rode horses her whole entire life, pretty much um, not comp- as competitive as competitively as my mom did you know my mom still rides to this day and she rode up to grand prix level yeah. and you might see her back in the grand prix ring at some point who knows oh. <laughs> uh, but she she's did an amazing job i think during my uh, junior years at, at really helping me get my career started and putting me in the right places in front of the right people and honestly just having guidance like that is the biggest thing when you're coming up as a junior and learning how to ride um to have someone that kind of knows the ins and outs of the business was a huge help. And she always, always um, made sure to do her best and have me in the right place at the right time. And speaking of actually, you know, your junior years and coming up through the ranks and, you know, getting, you know, growing into yourself as a rider, a lot of that was because you had a huge focus in equitation. You know, you won the McClay and the Washington so how do you think that your background in the equitation has helped your career as such a successful jumper rider now? Yeah, it's actually funny, funny you bringing that up because yes, I did, did love the equitation and I had a very, very good um, success in the equitation ring, but I actually was, had done a Grand Prix before I even started doing equitation. <laughs> I started oh in equitation because my mom had a sale horse that came in that was an equitation horse and I, you know, showed it and I was like, oh, I kind of like this. This is kind of fun. Oh, and then okay. everyone, everyone had been saying, you know, you need to get her into that quotation, you need to get in that quotation ring. And at that time in my mom's career and mine, that quotation wasn't as important in our, uh, in our view, you know. And then I was like, okay, yeah, we'll get on that. And then I just kind of fell in love with it and loved how detailed it was and how much focus was on um, correct riding and position and. Uh, fell in love with it as well and then started doing it more and more and more and then we met Don um, Stewart and he became my kind of main trainer in terms of equitation ring 
and mm-hmm. uh, he's an amazing man and trainer and that whole system was great for me and I learned so much for him and I just kind of took off from there and so when you aged out as a junior and you made the decision to become a professional of course um, did you know from you know when you were a junior that was something that you wanted to do immediately I think I knew from when I was like six years old I was, yeah. a total, I was a total barn rat I mean I grew up in a barn the, on, the ongoing joke in my family is like I fell off my mom fell off the day before I was born you know <laughs> and I just that's what's wrong with me and that's why I'm so horse <laughs> um, but yeah like, as a kid I just I was horse obsessed totally never really left the barn and um, knew from a very young age that I wanted to ride professionally I think there was a little bit of consideration on whether to ride uh, for school uh, for a little bit of a period just because, you know, getting an education at a college level probably would have been a very good thing for me. But I was just felt that there were certain opportunities I didn't want to miss out on, and I'm sure they hopefully would have still been there. But for me, I just really felt a pull towards staying in the horse world and didn't want to take the four years out of my career. I wanted to stay grinding away at it and try and reach some of the bigger goals that I have. You had your eyes on the prize and you went after it and you've certainly, certainly achieved it. (laughs) I've been trying, we've been working hard at it. That's for sure. So when you are competing now, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, winning and losing because you know, this sport it's so unpredictable. Horses are unpredictable as much as we love them. You know, things don't always go the way that we want. So if you're in a situation where you maybe didn't win a class you wanted to win, or you're just kind of in a slump, not winning as much as you might like, how is that something that you deal with? Those moments are brutal. Let me tell mm-hmm. you, they, they get a little easier in terms of, you know, how to handle them, but they aren't ever any less frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't, I think a lot of people probably forgot this, but I was second at McClay finals um, to Tori Colvin. Then the following year, I went off course at McClay finals. Oh. Then then it was my last year I actually won McClay finals. So talk about like, you know, going in as kind of a favorite, at least someone that had a a pretty good shot, right? Mm -hmm. At least a top three, top five finish. And then to just blow it like that. And that wasn't even horse related. So I think that experience, although it was terrible and I hated every minute of it, it really taught me how to handle moments just of true, just, I was totally distraught. Just, if, you know, I totally let myself down more than anything and let my whole entire team down. So it was, um, you know, it sucked it happened, but we know we move on from those moments. We grow from them and to learn, learn a lesson from it and see what you can take away and learn on it. And then to grow as a person from that, you know, emotionally, as an individual, intellectually, what can I take away and do better next time to make sure that doesn't happen? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I hear that from um, a lot of riders that I talk to for the podcast, just as, you know, as distressing or as disappointing as it may be, you kind of have to find a little kernel in there and learn from it and make yourself better for it. Yeah, just teaches you to be a stronger person honestly like yeah it sucks but it you grow from it yeah 
So, but then when you do win, <laughs> um, can you tell us about some of your most favorable successes in your career so far? I mean, we've already talked, of course, about the equitation and then the World Cup finals, but you've had a crazy amount of success and you're you're still so young. So, I mean, I'm sure there's tons ahead of you, but so far, could you name a couple of your favorites? Yeah, I definitely World Cup finals is the, you know, that's the ultimate favorite at the moment. I, <laughs> I just... It's like you know the cherry on top, I guess. Yeah. For me right now, uh, and it's the freshest in my memory too is another part of it. But uh, other special ones are my was my first five star win in Spruce Meadows. That was a really big win to me. Um, my first five star Grand Prix win last year was very special with Pepita and the team I had with me there. Uh, my first Grand Prix win was really special because my whole family, or most of my family, was there, and. Uh, Obviously, the Washington was great. Uh, that was my first big EC final win, and my grandmother got to be there and Dawn and, and everything. So there's been a lot of memorable ones, and I'd say it makes a lot of them so special. Like, yes, it's great to win big classes, but the most special ones have been the team that's been there with me, whether it's been family or just the team of people, and really getting to, um, like, thought afterwards, like, being like, okay, this is what we worked so hard and so much, so much of this effort and time has been put into for this moment and just kind of get to sit and reflect on that with everyone that's been there and been there been yeah. you know, grinding it out every day with us. Mm-hmm. Your team is so important to have a good support system behind you. They do. And they sacrifice and do so much for us as riders. Yeah, absolutely. And when you are at a big show, like a five star or a final or, you know, anything that, you know, you would chalk up to being like a really big moment for you. Do you get nervous in those moments? And if you do, how do you handle your nerves? Yes. Um, I was just talking about this the other day, actually, to, to a younger younger girl that rides with me. And I was kind of trying to explain to her that, you know, that your nerves are always be there. It doesn't matter whether it's your first meter 10 or your first meter 40. It's always kind of the same feeling, even for me now. Um whether it's, you know, a national Grand Prix or a five-star FEI Grand Prix, the nerves for me are always there. And it's always, it might be the first time we're doing a bigger class. So those nerves are there again. And it's not a different feeling, but it's your experience and learning how to handle the feeling and how to make that feeling work for you. So you have to kind of be put in that situation enough times that you learn how to handle those nerves and make them work for you instead of against you. Right. And, um, you know, I always tell people that ride with me and something that I always work on and think about for myself is to control the controllables. So there's so many things you can't control. So you've got to kind of just, you know, let those go and be okay with those, but you can control yourself. You can control how you look, how you present yourself, being on time. Um, you know, the cleanliness of your tack, you know, all these little details that you may overlook but those are things that kind of I I do that comfort me just in the feeling that I know I'm as prepared as I could be for that event in that moment Mm -hmm. yeah actually my next question was going to be if you had any kind of like routine or superstitions before a class because a lot of riders do they have like you know like you said a little piece of tack or a show shirt or something like that so do you have anything like that I wouldn't say I have any super big superstitions per se I'd say um, this is kind of a little bit of a funny one, but my boyfriend and I would go to the shows a lot together now. I'm pretty much always working together. And always for Grand Prix Day, he puts on his black cowboy hat. 
And at this point, it's just a bit of a habit and I expect to see it. <laughs> at this point, it is too. I wouldn't say it always works, but uh, black cowboy hat and black shirt, those two things, but they're not even related to me. It's just something he does, but now I kind of look for it and expect to see it. Like, you know, it kind of somehow yeah. my mind correlates with the Grand Prix. <laughs> Gives you a little bit of comfort, right? Yeah. Just something that's consistent. That's, that's always there for you to take a look at. <laughs> so I want to get a little bit into your training now, like when you're home. I know we talked a little bit about Pepita Conspita and her training. Um, but as far as, you know, her and then all of your other mounts when you're at home and, you know, your schooling training, do you have any kind of philosophy that you like to follow or, like, you know, like a thought process that at home when you're schooling you follow? Yeah, I really do not like overjumping my horses. I try to avoid that mm-hmm. at all costs. Yeah. We don't jump much, actually. We do a lot of little, like, cavalettis or pulls. Um, but I I bet most of my horses, once they get to around that 140 height range that they're consi- consistently competing at, they definitely jump less than once a week at home. Like, if they're mm-hmm. home for two weeks, they'll jump one time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I try and get all my work done on the flat and over the poles and the jumping side of things is just a little reminder or if they have something that they maybe need to work on in their form, we'll address it. But um, I wouldn't say I train on them at the jumps. Um, it's more on the flat and we work on really getting rideability in, term, in terms of forward to collected to turning and getting them real soft and supple. And I expect my horses to be respectful of me and I'm respectful of them. I do not like pushy horses at all, whether it's on the ground yeah. or on, you know, I think there should be mutual respect between horse and rider. Mm-hmm. I respect them and love them and they allow us to do amazing things and give so much. But um, I think when you get horses that get real pushy on the ground, it honestly ends up being a bit of a safety issue. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Is there anything that you do on the ground, like as far as groundwork, if you did have a little bit of a pushy horse to help them work out of that yeah I definitely I definitely big on boundaries this is kind of a saying you know I have my bubble and they have theirs it doesn't mean I don't, don't go cuddle my horses and love on them because I do but usually it's yeah. not in the eye way it's in the stall at the night check I'll come and give them a treat and cuddle with them and have a little moment together I don't love giving treats in the aisle way or out of mm-hmm. hand um, mm-hmm. I think that kind of just creates a bit of nipping <laughs> I do go in their stall and give them treats, but in their feed bucket at night and I'll cuddle with them and love on them. Um, so that's something in my barn that I just try and incorporate a little bit. And then in terms of groundwork, yeah, Dylan, um, my boyfriend does most of that. I've learned some of it over the years and have say I'm okay at it. I'd say he's the one that was really quite good on the groundwork side of things and can really get a lot done mentally and physically for horse on the ground without a lot of stress. I mean, all of it's at the walk and it's very easy on them. And it's just, you know, asking them to get the hind end, come around and go forward again. And very simple, basic things um, that help mm-hmm. them get respectful of you. And then actually correlate, a lot of it correlates to when you're riding them too. And it makes for a happier horse and rider. Happy yeah. horse, happy <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And yeah. when you're at home, do you have a favorite exercise on the flat or say over Cavalettis that you have in your ring like all the time that you love to exercise your horses over wow that's a good question <laughs> um, i'd say i kind of go in phases um in terms of like i i will have 
kind of my repertoire of exercises uh, for poles and so forth that my horses know when they honestly get really good at. And then once it gets easy, it's almost a little boring. And then I'll come up with a new one and I'm like, Oh wait, it's kind of hard for this horse. Oh wait, there's our missing piece. You know, that's mm. why we're not shortening in the ring as well as we need to or lengthening. So it's more, I wouldn't say a specific, specific favorite one. I'd say my favorite one is usually wherever I can find is working the best for me at that moment. Mm-hmm. But usually that also correlates with where my horses are at um, and their training. If one has a little hole that needs a little work on it, then that just becomes a favorite exercise for a week or two while we work through that problem. Right. Do you ever find, especially with young horses, that there's one aspect of training that is more difficult for more than not? like say changes or shortening and lengthening? You know, I have one horse that struggles a little bit in terms of staying around as she shortens. I have another one that struggles a little bit staying balanced through the turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another one that environment changes. She's still getting relaxed and working on staying relaxed with an environment change. Right. So I think that honestly, just horses are individuals and it varies with each, each one. I wouldn't say there's a, a problem I encounter more often than not I think that that's huge and just getting to know each one and and see what they kind of need from us yeah to comfort them you know is a big big thing and just being aware of their individuals yeah absolutely so I have a few more questions for you here before we wrap up the first one being and I get that this is a little bit of a difficult question from some riders that I talked to but what or why do you think that you have been so successful so far in your career? I, I'm beyond so horse obsessed. I don't think <laughs> I can't vacation. Well, I can't leave the barn. Well, like I, I don't take space away from the barn. Well, like it mentally mm-hmm. it gives me a lot of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think is a, a big part of it. So I think I, you know, the amount of time I spend around horses with horses on horses, I, mm-hmm very hard for me to go a day let alone a week last time actually we were on vacation I left vacation early and went and tried horses we were in in Europe already and on day two I think I had booked a plane ticket to Holland to try horses hey if you're there anyway right <laughs> I don't know, we're already here we're already across the pond might as well yeah. make it a full trip instead of a vacation who needs those <laughs> yeah. um Definitely. but I also think the people that I've been lucky enough to have in my life and have been able to surround myself with um, I bet played a big part. Uh, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough about having a good solid team, you know, even from when I was a junior until now, they've been amazing. And I've been very lucky to come across people I've come across. And, and to add to this is my mom was a professional when I was younger. So she really was able to give me a big leg up in terms of knowing the business, knowing the, the nuances of, the barn and she always had me with the right horses too I was always very well mounted I definitely rode difficult ones don't get me wrong I had plenty of those but I always had at least one good one that kept me confident and uh, made it where I was able to successfully help the troubled horses or harder ones and create better horses out of them because that good horse was teaching me so much too you know at the same time I was learning on that one and getting to put what I was learning into the more difficult ones and helping them grow and helping them get confident again or whatever their little issue was at the time. Yeah. Um, But that just comes from riding a variety of horses, the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. 
I think it's something we all experience. You have to do the the troubling ones or the difficult ones. They make you a better rider in the long run. Absolutely. But then you can't do it without the good horse because as a rider, there's nothing worse than when you lose your confidence. And especially when a kid loses their confidence, you know, you don't want to see that happen to anyone, let alone a little kid or an older adult. Um, mentally, you know, that kind of takes them out of the game. So it's really important that they can stay confident, happy, and, and remembering why they love horses and do it in the first place. That good horse is really invaluable in that moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. What do you think is the hardest part of this sport for you? I get a lot of different answers. You know, it could be emotionally, physically, um, financially, but I think, you know, this is a difficult sport. And I think that everyone has something about it that's difficult. So I'm wondering if you find that there is one part for you. Um, I kind of think it runs in waves for me in terms of my business. Uh, you know, you kind of have a lot of highs and lows doing mm-hmm. what we do. I love every bit of it, but it, you know, financially is very draining, but you also have your really good months too, where, okay, I got a horse sold and I own part of it and I'm yay, like got a little money in the bank now, finally. But then you also, that money goes and gets spent quickly. So that might've been a really good month, but now all of a sudden you're down again and working hard, never stop working hard, but you know, it's a cycle of, of owning and driving horses. (laughs) Yeah. You know, then it kind of bites you in the butt on the other end of it. And, uh, you know, horse management, when you have a top horses is a huge part of it too. And how to keep them like for me, okay, I need a show to get prize money. Um, but I can't and don't and won't overshow my good horses. So yeah, we need the prize money, but I'm not gonna if it's not right for them, it's not right for them, and you gotta do what's best for them. So that part of it, um, managing them and their schedules and keeping them at the top of their game, um, the financial side, the family side, you know, making sure you have enough time for family at some point in there is hard because it's such a big time commitment always. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're just stuck at the barn a lot. But, you know, I, I love what I do and love horses and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And looking back at your younger self, is there any piece of advice that you would give her? That's a tough one, too. You're full of <laughs> Just probably it's all going to be okay. Like it's not the end of the world. Like yeah. that loss at that moment, you know, you move on from it, you grow from it. It's not, you know, people are going to forget. I, the amount of people that forgot that I've gone off, a, gone off course of the clay finals is comical because I thought it was be something that no one ever forgot. Yeah. Now, you think it's the end of the world in the moment. Yeah. Now I say that no one hardly remembers. And I'm like, okay, well, now I can bring it up because I think it's funny now. You know, at this point, I can look back <laughs> and laugh at it. But I never in a million years, people would tell me all the time, well, you're going to look back at this and be able to laugh at it one day. And I just thought for sure they were crazy. Absolutely not. Like <laughs> I would look at them as if they said the worst thing ever, because how could anyone ever laugh at that? But yeah, now I, now I can look back and laugh at it. And you know, can see a little bit of the wisdom they were trying to impart on me there in those moments. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially that age, like being a teenager in the equitation, it's stressful enough. And then something like that happens and people tell you it's okay, you know, you know, you'll you like you said, you'll laugh about it. And you're like, what do you mean? How how could I possibly laugh about this? No matter how much time has passed. But yeah, in the long run, you know, eventually you can look back and realize that as stressful as it was, as heartbreaking as it was in the moment you know, you move on and everything is okay in the long run. (laughs) It's 
all going to be okay. And you will be able to count one day because I could not count for the longest time. Oh, I struggled. <laughs> to <count> again. <laughs> How did you finally learn? Did you find a trick for yourself that worked it out? Oh my gosh. I think I just, yes, yes. And no, but Dawn was getting so frustrated at me. It was it's so funny there for a little bit. Cause we'd, we'd be walking a course just like at a normal show, nothing fancy. And someone would come up to me and ask me what the numbers are. And he'd be like, Oh, don't ask her if she can't count over five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was like, uh, it was so hard for me to figure out. But, um, for me, what ended up working best actually was counting backwards. Um, really mm. helped me. Otherwise I would just keep counting. But, uh, Harder part for me also was I grew up doing the jumpers first. So I was literally doing Grand Prix before I could actually count like a bending line, right. which is crazy. But I rode pretty much all off feel. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no kind of counting or method. I mean, there was a method to it, but it wasn't like as um, precise as you, as you, as you would be in the equitation with the numbers. Yeah. So I would just ride my horse's balance at all times. So an equitation ring, when you have some of those flatter lines, you know, those lines that get real long, which I think they've honestly, yeah. for a while, they went on a phase where everything was really long. And I think they've toned that down a little bit. So it's not as bad as it was for there for a minute. But um, when those lines were, were getting so crazy long, I was like, no way. I'm just going to add this in and make sure my horse gives a good jump. Yeah. So you know I was adding and it would look perfect. And then I would, you know, lose a, a bigger class or a class because I mm-hmm. did a perfect nine mm-hmm. instead of a perfect date. Um. So learning that the flat distance, I just had to get used to, you know, allowing myself to get there in that, at that distance and not always just riding off my field, but I needed to be able to count and ride with field, not just one or the other. And then what really did it for me though, was counting backwards. I land and count backwards in each line and just making myself do it every day until it became automatic was also the other part of that. I think it would be comforting for our audience to hear that because I think a lot of people struggle with line counting. So to hear that someone of your caliber had a point where she struggled with it is definitely very relatable. <laughs> oh yeah. Big struggle with it. My mom looked at me one day and she's like, can you just make a new mistake? Quit making the same mistake. <laughs> make a mistake. I don't care, but it needs to be a new mistake. No more issues with numbers, please. Just last question. What's next for you? What's on your radar? I know you mentioned earlier uh, you're going to New York next. Yep, go there for one national week and four-star week, um, so that'll be fun, and I have a lot of really interesting eight-year-olds I'm getting to kind of focus on and bring up right now as the, the big guys take a little downtime, um, nice. so they're having a little rest, and I'm getting to see what the young ones are all about and see what they're made of. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me again. This is an awesome conversation. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Hunter Holloway. And a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Bowringer Ingelheim. Learn more at bowringer-ingelheim.com. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Also, tune into our mini-sode series, The Fod Pod, where you'll hear audio lessons from our favorite Practical Horseman On Demand clips. At Practical Horseman On Demand, you can enjoy hundreds of how-to videos and get insider access to exclusive interviews and lectures, 
slow motion demonstrations, and step-by-step tutorials taught by top-level pros in the hunter, jumper, equitation, and eventing disciplines. When you tune into the FOD pod, listen closely for a promo code for 15% off your Practical Horseman on-demand subscription. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I'm Julia Boutenhouse, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.